You still think he's the one? This boy has the empathy to think like a foreman. To understand them, anticipate them. He's not ready. You're never ready. You go when you're ready enough. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 205. It is our Ender's Game review. We call it kind of our sci-fi rewind, although I guess, Miles, in the traditional sense, this isn't really a rewind for us. No, not real. Usually we review a movie years and years in the past. Yeah, and now it's just months and months in the past. It's mm-hmm. not quite the same, is it? So um, I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. Good evening. I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. Hi, I'm David Moulton. And Jim Arrowwood here. Yep, and we're coming from all across the U.S. tonight and all across the county from where we're at. And uh, it's a lot of inclement weather, but we're in the warm and we're here discussing Ender's Game. We are. It will be a good time. Now, for those of you that have never joined in in one of our our rewinds, our, our review shows, we typically talk about how this movie is doing or has done at the box office. Um, we begin to point out our favorite moments of it, uh, maybe some of our favorite acting performances, um, maybe some things we didn't like. We discuss some of the uh, issues the uh, movie has brought up, if there are any. Um, talk about effects and uh, what we overall re- what what we liked about the movie overall, and um, maybe some favorite quotes. And typically, we try to stay within about an hour, something like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where we're gonna start. And so, uh, I guess, head and and um, I guess to start off, why don't we talk about how we first embraced this movie? I mean, what do we, I mean, um, first of all, did anyone here read the book maybe before we get in? Because if you aren't familiar with Ender's Games, actually a book first and then a movie second. So, um, Miles, did you ever read the Ender's Game book? No, but um, I'm seriously considering reading it now. Yeah, you know, um, I read it, um, what, I guess in high school. It's been a while. Mm -hmm. And I think I've read through parts of it since. And I actually teach a book uh, uh, using Orson Scott Card. He wrote a book called Character and Viewpoint. I use it in my creative writing classes to teach character Hmm. because it's just a great book here. Uh, David, did you ever read Under's Game? No, no. It's been recommended many times, but... uh... I just haven't gotten to it, but after seeing the movie twice now, I'm really, I really want to dig into it when I get some free time. You know, it does the movie does a good job of capturing the essence of the book, at least in my opinion of it. Um, I mean, I know you, you aren't reading anything else right now, David, so no, no excuse. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just a thing called Dune. Did, did you? Did no you, big deal. Yeah. Did you? Did you? Did you start reading Dune yet? Yeah, I am about a hundred pages in. Oh yeah, awesome, awesome. Um, I actually read a uh, passage from Dune to my creative writing class today. Oh wow, cool, so, very cool. Yeah, it was a it was a descriptive passage. Uh, uh, Leto's out on the balcony overlooking the uh, rising sun and the uh, the uh, the dawn, and the way Frank Herbert's just describing it is absolutely awesome. Oh yeah, I just I just passed that part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Jim, uh, how about you? Uh, did did you read the book? I did. As a matter of fact, I finished it just a couple of days before the movie opened. Okay, so uh, 
in in your opinion of the book, Jim? Mm-hmm. No, your opinion oh. of the book. Oh, I see. Yes, um, I really, really enjoyed the book a lot. Uh, read it in preparation to see the movie, and yeah, it, it it's a good book. Yeah. Now, did you feel like the essence of the movie the the movie captured the essence of the book? It, as far as Anders' story is concerned, yes. There were some other elements, uh, some political elements that were in the book that were not in the movie. So yeah. uh, they really wouldn't have fit in a two-hour movie. Yeah. I, You know, I was telling my uh, students that because I teach creative writing. I said, you know, there's, it, it's kind of ludicrous to to for people to argue it's not the same in the book. I mean, it, it just can't fit every single thing that you can put into a book, into a movie, unless you're uh, Peter Jackson of three movies to make out of, uh, out of one book, you know, there's, and there's very <laughs> few people that get that luxury to kind of explore the universe that way. And so I've learned to just not expect them to be alike. And I'm okay with that most times. Yeah. Well, me too. The, as far as, as far as Ender's story is concerned, the movie is the book. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, that's high praise. It's high praise. Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Initially, I thought this movie didn't do that great at the box office. And I guess compared to a lot of movies that are out right now, it didn't. But it cost them about $110 million to make. That was a production budget. So it doesn't go, I guess, into out. That doesn't include advertising, does it? Yeah, I I don't know if it does or not. Does anyone know? Does does the production budget does that include the advertising budget as well? I'm not sure. That's a good question. Uh, I don't know, listeners. If you know, you can let us know if that's typically included in it. Um, but if it didn't, it did make back its money. It was you know sixty one um, million here stateside, and then an additional sixty three million overseas. So it made a couple million for him, not too much, but it made a little bit for him. Yeah, they 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 made um they def they definitely leased made the money they put into the movie and, and made a little yeah. profit on it. Probably not enough to see the sequels happen, in my opinion. That's too bad. Yeah, I agree. I, so I saw opening weekend in in IMAX with some family, and uh, there was probably uh, – the theater wasn't even a quarter of the way full on opening weekend. Did you see it opening weekend, Jim? I did. I saw it uh, the night it opened uh, here in Kearney. And uh, there were quite a few in the theater that night. Okay. Yeah. In Miles, I don't think you and I saw it till it came to uh, DVD. Yeah, till I was able to rent. And then uh, and then there, there were no crowds in the theater I was in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Made myself some popcorn. I popped it on the TV and I was good. So let's let's talk first impressions here. What, you know, how did, what did you think of it? Uh, uh, first watch through, um, maybe if you heard some stuff about it, what did, what, what did that compare to what you were hearing about it when you, when you saw it? And, uh, why don't we start, uh, why don't we start with you, Miles? I saw the trailer a while back and I thought the trailer looked very impressive. I had given serious thought about seeing it in theaters, but it just, it just didn't work out. But I, I, I did want to see the movie after it was available to rent, um, you know, basically, I got the basic. It was about this kid who is basically this 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 genius, and the military is using him to 
help help them help them win the war. Um, but it's it's it, it, it's it's a very deep film. I mean, we'll we'll get into some of the philosophical and ethical things they explore in this movie. Um, but you you have this this kid who is basically um, a Mozart with um, other Mozarts and Salieri's of, of you know varying degrees, but except in, in a military academy uh, situation. Um, you, I mean, Harrison Ford's character is basically manipulating this kid, you know, every which way. And you see, you know, early, early on, they, 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 they test him. They, they, you know, they, they pretend to boot him out of camp at, at, at the academy, but it, it's, it's to see how he, he how he will, um, he'll deal with that situation. So, um, and, and then you find out a little bit about his life, who his, his brother was, who his sister is, and how they've influenced him, and how they they, they are they are an influence on him. Um, I, I kind of thought of them, you know, one is the, the yin and one is the yang, as far as how they've they've helped to shape and mold him. You know, you you mentioned that Harrison Ford's character, I guess, you know, Cur- Colonel Graf uh, is manipulating Ender, but you know, I didn't sense that it was. And maybe I'm wrong, and Jim and David, you can pipe in here too, but you know, I didn't sense that it was like, like I thought that he was putting him through training. And I guess they were testing him at different points, how he would react, but I didn't necessarily sense it was really manipulation until the end scene when they, you know, commit the genocidal act in the movie. Up to that point, it's like all seems fairly like training and guiding and I guess you could call it manipulating, but that's like as as much manipulation as I do as a teacher when I'm guiding and teaching my students. I don't know. What do you guys think? I felt like it was, everything was a test and he wanted Ender to be the one so much that if there was manipulation, it was more to make it so Ender fit the mold that he was trying to get him to fit. You know what I mean? Like he wanted him to do, to do this so you know he'll put him in a situation where he can prove himself in that in that capacity hmm yeah definitely jim your thoughts uh i saw ender as an amalgam of his brother and his sister his brother was was absolutely cruel uncaring violent vicious and the sister was very nurturing and caring and ender ended up kind of in the middle of that and and uh, Graf saw these two parts of him, and he was guiding Ender into the direction that he wanted him to go, using these these different sides of him. So we, so you so so I guess um, bringing it back to the question. So in your opinion, him playing to Ender's both sides was a kind of manipulation then. Not so much a manipulation as much as directing uh, directing Ender to the end that they needed to have. As far as Graf was concerned, the Formics were coming. They were going to destroy the Earth because if they came the second time, uh, nobody was going to stop them. And so it was going to be a preemptive strike. Uh, that was Graf's goal, and... Uh, to destroying the the Formix, that was, Ender was his vehicle to do that. 
Right, which brings up a whole another bunch of ethical questions we can get into a little bit later on about yeah. preemptive strikes and what that uh, actually means and and uh, so on. Um, interesting. You know, the only part that I might argue that there maybe was a little manipulation of Ender is when he says, you know what, that's it, I'm out of here. He goes back to Earth and then Graf brings his sister in to kind of talk him back up into the uh, station. And then he's taken to another base altogether to kind of take on his role of leadership. The, the, um, the book did a much more in-depth job. And as I read the book, I know that I felt sorry for Ender. I felt bad for this kid because he had no future other than what the military wanted from him. Uh, that didn't come out as much in the movie uh, as it did in the book, I think. Yeah, maybe it's hinted at in the movie in that, that there's a the couple times I say that that he was born for this. You know, he's, he was kind of, you know, the first two washed out for different reasons, but the third one, he was born for this moment, this role, and he was kind of, everything in his life was leading up to mm-hmm. this moment. And it's not like he had a lot of options. Uh, another Another t- thing of note for manipulation is the emotional manipulation where uh, when he first gets to battle school, uh, Graf says his uh, isolation must never be broken and that, you know, he can't, nobody is supposed to reach out to him uh, when he's struggling. So. We especially see that when he asks, you know, you know, they they had their privacy rights restored, but He's trying to send letters to his sister, and he hasn't getting it back. And you know, is that be? He asks if it's being blocked, and you know, the Colonel says, "Yeah, it is. You don't need that kind of influence right now. You're it's a distraction for you." Right. And so, yeah, there there is there is that manipulation. So, I'm hoping that well, she she would have probably made him weak. Is what he is what Kraft might have had in mind. Yeah, it would have definitely been a little bit of a distraction there as well so let's uh let's talk a little bit um so uh we got some miles we started with you about getting getting your initial thoughts on the movie uh david how about you uh your thoughts you saw the movie twice in theaters is both of times in theaters uh no once in theaters and then once last night so uh so tell me what was uh, when you went in what were you hearing what were you expecting how did the movie deliver for you well, okay, so I had heard about the books, you know, a long time ago. I had a friend who really, really likes them. Uh, when the movie came out, I was impressed by the trailer, but something about it just, I don't know, I just kept thinking, you know, this isn't going to be that good. It, it looked almost too pretty for its own good, and I was, I, yeah, I was just kind of like, I don't know if this will be any good. So I hadn't actually planned on seeing it. And then it turned out that I was uh, visiting some relatives, and we decided to go to a movie, and there weren't very many uh, good ones out. And I said, well, I kind of want to see Ender's Game. So we all went to that. And my first impression, I was incredibly impressed. I really, really liked the movie. I, I was pleasantly surprised all around. Uh, the only thing is I felt it was it, it felt a little long uh, in the draw, but other than that, I, I, you know, everything from the music to the... To the acting, I just thought it was it was very well done. Uh, so only two of the seven of us that went actually enjoyed the film. But uh, yeah, I came out of the theater thinking, man, I'd watch that again. 
not necessarily like I'll go see it in the theaters or I'll buy it, but you know, I'll watch it again. So, so positive first impression and did, the other people that uh, saw it with you, what did they say? What did they think of it? Uh, well, <clears throat> my aunt, she really, really liked it. She just likes film in general. Uh, and then everyone else that, you know, they, they just thought it was boring or they didn't understand some of the concepts. I think that it was, you know, there's different levels of science fiction. There's like the, the real surfacey level that most people can attach to. And then there's like that next step where you have to kind of be familiar with scientific or sci-fi lore or, or the, the general aspects of it to really kind of grasp the concepts. I feel that Ender's Game is kind of that, that second tier where you have to really enjoy a science fiction to, to kind of grasp some of the bigger concepts there or to be open to them. And how about you, Jim? So you went to the movie um, how did it feel for you? How What did you heard prior to the movie, good, bad, ugly, everything? Well, most of what I heard prior to the movie was a lot of negative about Orson Scott Card. And there was just so much of that. Um, I actually didn't hear a great deal about the movie. I had seen the trailer, and then I read the book. Um, and when I did get to the theater... Uh, it was about the fastest two hours I had ever spent. And I brought uh, Chrissy and Diane along. Uh, Chrissy's nine years old. She loved it, absolutely loved it. And my wife actually enjoyed it, and she's not big on the sci-fi. Oh, well, that's good. That's good. Mm -hmm. I should probably mention that about three weeks later, uh, after it opened, I was up in Lincoln for uh, the music teachers convention, and one of my students had made all-state choir. And he and I went on uh, Friday night at 10 o'clock, and he absolutely loved it. He just, he was really wowed. Oh, nice, nice. And how old's, how old's Chrissy? Chrissy's nine. She'll be 10, she'll be 10 in two weeks. And, and you felt like for... Uh for a, a movie it was uh, she was able it was accessible to her and um and uh, i mean the movie i don't I forget what it was rated what pg-13 but it was it was appropriate for her i i didn't really see anything in there uh that that i thought would damage her at all i would not be afraid to take anybody to this movie there's so you think you, th you think my seven-year-old son might be able to handle it i think so I would say uh, everything except for the scene with the mouse uh, going into no, the dude, guy's dude, head. Dude, that's kind of that's kind of gross. Yeah, that that wigged well, that wigged me out. <laughs> and even that was just a cartoon. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, the the there are a couple of scenes of violence in there when Ender defends himself in the lab, and then when uh, him and Bonzo get into the fight in the shower. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Um, again, I had heard a lot of what you heard, Jim, about the talk about it, you know, and we had this discussion in the diner a while back that we said, you know what, it, 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 despite the controversy that's going around to the author, Miles, I think you mentioned prior to us recording tonight that the rights for this movie were sold, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. I remember hearing stories that the rights had been sold. I'm like, great, we're getting an Ender movie. And then it just never coming down the pike. And so finally... Here it comes, you know, they're the author's 10, 15 years removed from the selling of the thing. He doesn't really make a red cent off of the sucker. And 
uh, other than book sales, which obviously it would have helped bring, well, sure. it would help in book sales. But I mean, I remember in high school, so we're talking like mid eighties, uh, you know, that this is, this book was out in, 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 in print and, and that you're able to read it. I, I forget when, what was the publication of the, uh, uh, Jim, do you know, or uh, David, do you know the publication of the book when that came out? I don't, I can look it up. Hold on. I think it was 1985. Yeah. I think. Oh, was it? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, okay, 1985. So it was right right around there. I read it, must, I must have read it soon after it came out. And I liked the movie. I liked the book, I meant, when I read it. Yeah, 85 so. is correct, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Give Jim some bonus points tonight, folks. <laughs> all right, well, let's... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take them, all right. Well, let's talk about some of our uh, favorite moments in this film. And David, why don't we let you go first? Give me a favorite moment, something that stuck out to you. And it can, it doesn't have to be a moment. Maybe it's a moment that kind of spoke to you, or it could be just a favorite moment. So, Let's see here. I, I really like the, the moment where uh, Ender is playing the gate game with his dragon team. I forget what the, did they give that a name? Did they give that game a name? I don't remember if they gave it a name, but anyway, I really like that part where he just like, he uh, kind of Trojan horses, the, the guy through the gate on the other end where they, mm -hmm. they all clump together and they kind of go. And then uh, Harrison Ford's kind of standing in the window, just watching and taking it all in. I just, I thought that was really, uh, that whole sequence was really cool. Yeah, they just called that a formation, I think. Yeah, the formation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the game was called, though. There has to be a name for it. I just don't know. They probably mentioned the movie. I just can't. So that was that was a good movement. And, and when they uh, shoot that guy out with a tether rope and then yeah. win him back around yeah. to bring it back in was... It was just kind of a, there was a lot of things that Ender was doing that was kind of thinking outside the box of the game. Yeah, and one of the things I liked about it is he was not the guy in the center. You know, he was on top, he got shot, but he was, so he wasn't the one scoring the point, you know? But he was the one making sure that the uh, objectives were achieved. Obviously, the, I mean, Ender, he, he, is not, he is not somebody who is going to put himself... Uh, his his goals ahead of the team's goals, and um, we saw that in, in you know contradistinction to, with with, with uh, Bonzo. Yeah. Jim, how about you? A, a moment that kind of stood out to you? Anytime they went into the battle room, um, as as I read the book, the battle room was a big black box. There were no windows or anything. So so in the movie, it was completely different, being this big glass globe. And it was done so well, uh, especially the scene where they did do the formation and he was floating along with, with a weapon in each hand and spinning and picking guys off one after another. Uh, I also really enjoyed the uh, scenes where, well, the scene where he was training with Petra. Uh, they went way into depth in that in the book. And I, I almost wish that there had been more of that in the movie. Yeah, I mean, that's basically the role that she plays is kind of the training role. And then you see him there. She kind of, I guess, is part of his, you know, final battle crew. But that's about it. We don't see him a lot a lot else. So, but yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Miles, how about for you? Another moment that kind of stood out to you in this moment, in this movie. Um, I agree with Jim about the, the battle room. But at first, this, the scene was, 
was, I thought it, it started out as sort of disturbing. Uh, Ender's finishing taking a shower and Bonzo and his goons are with it. I'm thinking, oh, crap. I mean, it's, this never ends good. At one end, it's kind of a cliche, you know, get attacked in the shower type thing, you know. I was thinking of the cliche. <laughs> and definitely kind of a cliched thing. Go on. I was thinking of the cliche, yeah. Um, and, and, you know. And Ender, Ender is obviously the smartest kid alive. He says, you know, it's a you know real tough guy who has you know three guys getting beaten up one guy in the shower, and so Bonzo obviously has a pride problem, and so he dismisses his goons to watch the doors. And um, after, I mean, you know, when Ender kicks Bonzo, and Bonzo's head bounces off that thing, and you just see a look on his face that okay, something's wrong. I mean, Ender didn't want this fight in the first place. I mean, he's not, I mean, for somebody who is in the military, he, he you know, he doesn't seek out conflict. Uh, he's actually, tr- he tries to be, you know, somewhat of a, you know, peacemaker, if, if, if at all possible. Um, uh, but obviously he can't in this situation. He feels horrible what happened to Bonzo. You could, I mean, he's, he's distraught. He's, um, you know, I mean, we, we see at the, you know, at the end, he, he wants to quit the academy. Yeah, we think he's dead. And, uh, we th- and he's, mm-hmm. well, I guess not. They're going to send him home, I guess, is kind of the final. We know that Bonzo is not never going to be the same again. I mean, he, he either broke his neck or he, you know, did, had major head trauma. Bonzo is, 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 is you know, vegetable, whatever he is, he's not going to be the same guy who, who, after that situation and you know ender is not i mean we we, we get some more more information about his character i mean we were, we were getting at the whole, the whole movie but we just see he didn't want this fight he didn't want he didn't he didn't want to hurt bonzo this way he feels horrible what he, what he had to do to bonzo it's not his fault he had to defend himself it ended horribly and he feels horrible about the whole thing well, you know, and it, it it gives you an empathy for Ender. It's one of the parts that develops. You have a little bit of a sympathy for him about the struggles, and the, it brings humanity to him to some degree. You know, at the same time, you say that he doesn't look for the fight, but if the fight comes for him, he's doing what he can to win that fight. Because, I mean, you see him, so he knows he's going to fight. What's he doing in the shower? He's lathering up. Well, he, well, not just lathering up, but he he's strategizing. He turns he turns the, the shower on to 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 as full as hot as it can be, and he uses the you know the hot water as a weapon against him. So right. he will fight. He you know if you if you if if he's pushed in a corner and he has no choice, God help you. He will fight, and he will yeah. and he he and he might win. And but he doesn't necessarily want yeah. to do it. Yeah. At at the same time, though. You, you notice that it went to the extreme where he disabled this kid. If you think back to earlier in the movie when he was in the lab and he grabbed the formic, uh, I assume it was a claw of some kind, and he had that kid on the ground and he kicked him and kicked him and kicked him and kicked him uh, and didn't stop. That was his brother coming through. And that's where I see the, the, the you know, there's this... Yin and Yang. I think they're trying to show in the movie that his brother represents his violent tendencies that are that are there, but then he has his sister's humanity, mm-hmm. her compassion, empathy, and um, you know, it's he's he has he has he has both. 
So to Jim, are you are you kind of arguing that there's there's a progression for Ender through the movie? So at the beginning, he's more like his brother, at least when he hits conflict. And about the middle, there's a little bit of more middle ground. And at the end, you see kind of this compassionate side. Is that kind of the journey that you see Ender on? Well, I, I what I see is an extreme reaction to defending himself. He's not only going to win the fight, but he is going to destroy his enemy. Move forward to the end of the picture. What did he do? He destroyed the planet. And then, after that, he had remorse for doing that. True, true. David, do you have any thoughts on this scene? Well, I, I guess I, I kind of agree with what Jim was saying there. You know, it's like, in the heat of the moment, he'll do whatever he can take to win and, uh, you know, incapacitate his opponent. But then... Once that moment's passed, his kind of compassion kicks in and he realizes what he's done. And it's kind of like he didn't want to hurt Bon. He didn't want to kill Bonzo or, or, or anything. He just didn't want Bonzo to get back up, you know, or the other guy. That's well, kind of how he, I took it. He wanted to win that fight so that he didn't have to fight anymore in the future. Right. Right. Well, if we go back to the first scene where he's fighting, where this one bully and his and his buddies, you know, corner him in that one room, and you know, for, he's beating the crap out of that kid with that uh, former claw. But then his his, his 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 two friends try to intervene, and and he's like, you know, you don't want any of this. I mean, he's and they don't. I mean, they you know, <laughs> um, and, and uh. For you know, Colonel Graf, when he asks him about, and we we talked about this a little bit already, about you know, why why did you keep beating him? He says so, so he won't do it again. Right. And so there is this. Um, it was a preemptive. I mean, he 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 only probably had to hit him once or twice with that claw, and the kid would have stopped fighting him. He hit him a few more times. I mean, it wasn't you know. So th- he has what what Graf is looking for: somebody who you know that has this mindset to think preemptively when you're dealing with the enemy it's not just um, defending yourself against the enemy it's basically beating them down so they can't um, they can't can't get up up and hurt you so well it it also sends a message to anybody that wants to try to do it again it's like hey this kid is a lot tougher than he looks it's almost like there's a, it's almost, it's almost like there's three tiers. You have the school on earth. He has to teach a kid the lesson and then no one else does it. Then you're at battle school and he teaches a kid a lesson. No one else does it. Right. And then you, uh, then, then you're up at the, uh, scenario, right. And he uh, teaches the, uh, formix the lesson and, uh, no one else does it again or, you know, whatever it is. It's kind of like the lesson keeps having higher stakes and, you know, f- further reaching complications. Well, then there's the, yeah, there's the exchange after the scene in the lab. Uh, Major Anderson says, after you had already won, why did yeah. you continue to hit him? Did you enjoy it? And Anderson says, knocking him down was the first fight. I wanted to win all the others so they'd leave me alone. Well, Jim, t- tell, tell me about a, uh, a moment that you, uh, that you that stuck out to you as being a favorite. Uh, <laughs> I would have to say that... Uh, I remember from the book when when Ender met Rackham the first time. Uh, it was that was an interesting moment, and it played out 
not as well on the screen as I would have liked it to. But when Rackham put Ender down and held him down and Ender says, you win, you win. And Rackham says, since when do you have to tell the enemy when he is one? That was a good, that was a good scene. This was one of the best performances I've seen out of Ben Kingsley. I haven't seen, uh, what, what else has Ben Kingsley done? I, I've seen him in other stuff. Come on, the guy is a, a, almost a legend. Well, he was in Iron Man 3. Yeah. He was, he was, he was Gandhi. Oh, he was Gandhi. Mm-hmm. Gandhi. He was incredible as Gandhi. And, oh, geez, he's been in lots of stuff. He's actually knighted, isn't he? He's, he's born in England. Yes. And I thought he was British. Serpent. Yeah, I could be wrong. His, his father was of younger botches, Gerardi Indian descent. And his mother was a Goodman, was British. So kind of split there. But yeah, so that, uh, and he was in Schindler's List too. That was probably one of another one of his big ones. Um, but he was in, he's been, he's, he's acting a ton of stuff. So let's go, let's go back to talking about him a little bit. Not, not, not necessarily him as an actor, but, but that, but that role that he, that he played as, as, as Rackham, you know, that, that scene there they played, you know, of the ship flying up. And I love when he plays a movie and gives, pulls back the curtain, gives Ender kind of that inside look about what really happened. And I thought that that was kind of cool. Well, and Ender realizes that, what are you not telling us? He knows that he's not getting the whole story here. And he figures it out by the reflection on the helmet. He figures out the pattern, that there's a pattern to the fight. Right, right. Yeah. He says, what do you see? You know, what did you see in your HUD? Yeah. So I thought that that was kind of, I thought that that was kind of cool. Plus, he just had some dang awesome tattoos. (laughs) Miles, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for you to get a face tattoo like that. You'll be waiting a long time. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I'll have a better chance with David and his tattoos. <laughs> I don't know if I'll go to the face. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, I think uh, probably uh, one of the uh, top scenes for for me has to be. Uh, it is a scene, and I guess we we could address the whole the whole kind of end scene. Not really the end scene, but the the scene of that the battle against the Formex at the very end, the one that he unknowingly is in, in, entrenched in, when he decides to go blast the planet, he's doing that move at the expense of sacrificing other ships to achieve the necessary end that he desires. And it really shows kind of the the sole purpose that there are casualties along the way that that people are... He doesn't know that, but in the scenario, it are dispensable to him just so he can achieve a win and that he will do anything to achieve a victory. And I thought that that was especially powerful. And he has people on his team that are kind of knocking, being, you know, knocked out of the game in a sense. And uh, and he's just ruthless and heading forward. Yeah, he's sacrificing troop carriers to, I mean, and fighters to be like heat shields for this, this, this one ship that has th- this. This this particle beam weapon of some of, of, of that yeah. that can do this kind of damage. It's like the Death Star, really. Yeah, they're protecting the Death Star. <laughs> they are. They are protecting the Death Star. I knew I saw the Death Star in Ender's Game. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that. Um, I mean, it, it really. The whole end scene 
brings up so many moral questions. Uh, we, we can get into this now, I guess, as good as time of any, but there are many questions it kind of brings up. You know, the idea of like, at, at what cost do we view as, when does human life become expendable so we can achieve a certain victory? Uh, we kind of, uh, I think anytime the U.S. has gone to war, um, there's always kind of that caveat. I mean, what 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 cost is too high? Well, there's no exploration of trying to sue for peace. There is no, I mean, they say, well, we they, the, the formics don't have vocal cords. We can't communicate with them. And, and duress, I mean, have you tried something else? I mean, it, it, it seems like there is no attempt whatsoever. Okay, yes, we, we defended our planet and we got to make sure we... we we stay vigilant to defend it again, but th- there, there's no it, peace is not even an option. It's not it's not even on the table. Which is really really sad, because as Ender pointed out, we don't even know if they were going to invade again. Yeah, you know they invaded once, they got turned away. Are they going to come back again? When they maybe when they got here, they didn't know the planet was populated. Uh, you know, I, I really feel like, again, they're just emphasizing that kick them while they're down so they don't get up theme that repeats over and over and over in the movie. And uh, he had no idea that he was sacrificing actual lives to get this going. And I think that, you know, someone will take bigger risks in a video game or simulation than they would in real life. Had he ever known that he was actually controlling ships, I don't think that he would have had the same kind of results whatsoever. I, th- I think arguably this is one of the uh, the tragic beauties of Ender's Game when you're reading the book or in this case watching the movie and you get to the end and realize that he realizes that the game he was playing wasn't really a game and that he was really actually fighting the uh, the buggers all along. It's one of the one of the again one of the tragic beauties of it. It really, I mean, so parallel into, you know, our society today, um, are there instances where we, you know, fight a battle and then we just take it to the enemy and destroy them? Do we ever do that? Or is that just kind of a, is that a far-fetched thing? We, we, I don't, we've, we've come close in World War II when we dropped two, two atom bombs in Japan. I mean, we didn't obviously wipe out Japan itself, but... It was enough to beat them into submission to get them to surrender. Well, and there we have not had a push like that since World War II. So I guess you could maybe you could argue that uh, we kicked them down and kicked them again and again and again, so they don't ever want to fight us again. Is that kind of what you're saying? <laughs> well, you know, when we dropped those bombs, we were the biggest kid on the lot, and nobody was going to mess with us. Well, and. You know, we, for, we we fast forward to the to the mid '80s um, when um, Reagan bombed Libya. I mean, I remember as a kid, Gaddafi was you know scared of him. I mean, he would you know say what he would do and all this kind of stuff. And I'm not trying to analyze or give what if a, if this was the correct action. I'm just saying this is what happened. Um, Reagan said in the Navy, and they. They, they they bombed Gaddafi back to the Stone Age, and he didn't. Uh, he shut up. Um, well, and it seemed like the right thing to do at the time, I guess. Uh, it, when with Ender's Game, 
you know, I think the question that, that begs to be answered in this game or, or in, in this movie is, do the ends justify the means? Yes, that, that, that is a... Um... That is a big. That is a big question. I mean, they went in. They went in. Now, Ender did not know what was going on. They went in and completely destroyed the planet. Ender finds out that he is that that he has won the war. There is not going to be another war because it's over with, and they've turned this kid into a fourteen-year-old mass murderer. He, he lost the war, and, and, and at the end of the movie, he's trying to find his soul. I heard someone uh, refer to Ender as being an innocent killer. And the irony, I guess, the juxtaposition of those two words. You, you even think of his name, Ender. I mean... Yeah, he is the end. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't think that's coincidence at all. I mean, uh, and, and the, the word game is, is definitely a, certainly a play on words. Um, I mean, he... he just, just almost practically ended the uh, the Formic race. Okay, there is one queen left, kind of in that um, pod or whatever, and he's going to try to find a safe place for it at the end. But, um, but he, you know, billion, you know, billions of these people, whoever they are. I mean, only thinking that this was just just a last battle simulation. And he tri- I mean, he wanted to win the simulation, but I, I think, I mean, I think we, we are, he probably would have done it differently if he would have thought this was the real deal. He, he I don't know if he would have gone as uh, gung ho if. Uh, yeah, I guess the question is if he if he was put into the battle scenario and it was the real deal, would have he carried out his actions the same way? I believe he would have. Because he's he's already proved several times throughout the early part of the movie that he he will do what it takes to win, even if he's going to regret it after the deed is done. Huh? You really think that he would have destroyed the planet, though? Oh yes. I guess you have to take into lot like when they attack initially before they attack the planet. They have that little skirmish in the asteroid belt or whatever is around the planet. Um, the planet's rings. They they have a little bit of of a skirmish there, and there is a little bit of a battle happening, partly being provoked by Ender and his crew. But they are they are in full fledged battle now. Whether they're that it's battle where the the buggers are just kind of uh, protecting um, or not, I mean, I don't. Uh, we don't. You know, who's to say, right? I, I would say that given what Ender knew, the information that he was given he would have gone ahead and done exactly what he did if it were the real scenario. If that's the case, Jim, then uh, do you uh, do you take issue with him being an innocent killer? I, I would say the guy has a lot of rage. and he, he, has, he has a mission to accomplish, and he's going to accomplish mission. Now, I think that had the, the final battle been a simulation, and then going on, him being the supreme commander or whatever, that he most likely would have done a little more homework before entering battle. Yeah, I agree with you there. He probably would have fought more to communicate and such as well. But he absolutely, 
you know, he adores his older sister, and she's being she he's been told that Earth is going to be attacked, and he doesn't want to lose his sister. I was actually uh I was reading uh one review of Ender, and it said, um, and, and they put it this way. We can forgive Ender for the killings. Ah, who's this guy? I should give him some credit. Um, so this is by John Kessel, and he it's um it's about Ender's Game. It's called Ender's Game: Intention and Morality, Creating the Innocent Killer. But he writes in his essay here, and I thought that it's worded so well, and it, it's under a section called Guiltless Genocide. And he says, "We may forgive Ender for the killings of Stilson and Bonzo." But can we forgive him the extermination of a race of intelligent creatures? And then he says, then he makes reference to another essay that speculates that Card wrote Ender's Game as an apologia uh, for Adolf Hitler. She points out certain parallels between Ender's biography and Hitler's. That he were, they were both third children. They were both virgins until the age of 37, which doesn't come to this book, but Speaker of the Dead. They were uh, close to their older sisters. They were abused by adults, and they both committed genocidal acts. That's not a that's not a ring endorsement of Orson Scott Card. No, no, it's not. Um, now, now that was this late. Now that he was just he was he was reflecting on it, and he does this guy uh, John Castle doesn't believe that Ender's Game is that, but there are some parallels between uh, Stalin and Hitler that you do see in Ender's Game. Um, and they said. <sighs> He said, for him, the biggest parallel is that they were both thought in the public eye to be loathsome mass, mass murderers, I guess. I guess the other thing we do have to mention, uh, we, we, we mentioned the video game that he kind of enters into, right? So there's this video game that, that Ender encounters sleeping in bed one night, and it's this mouse that has to choose between these two cups, and both choices are not right. Now, obviously, that becomes synonymous with him not you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't type of situation, right? Um, and so he decides to change the game and decides to leap into the guy's eye and knock him down. And then he uh, kind of finds himself in that world and becomes kind of a foretelling of his encounter with the bugger, I guess. Um, any thoughts on that scene? It's almost, I'm going to bring a Star Trek reference. Um, that's what Jim Kirk did with the Kobayashi Romu. He changed the rules of the game. Way to bring in Trek. <laughs> it is very true, though. Yeah, so he changes the rules. And they, they, they seem to insinuate that the game was put there, but he he's basically interpreting the game and that what's happening is not is something that he's kind of making up. This game somehow interacts with your mind. Well, even the... You know, the the one major and the colonel wasn't sure how he could see images of his sister on the game. That wasn't... Was his brother also in the game? I don't recall seeing his brother in the game. Guys, what do you think? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. He did appear, and it scared him pretty bad. Now you say that. I remember that now. Yes. now oh, yes. 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 Yeah. So both the, both of them appeared in there and somehow were part of it. Well, they kind of allude yeah. that that's the queen trying to communicate with him through the game. You know? Right. Right. Yeah, it's true. And then, um, and, and he, he kind of, he, of course, kind of figures it out when he looks at the rock formation and say, Oh, wait, that kind of looks like the, uh, falling castle in my dream. This, this, it's, it's kind of sad that they won't make sequels because there is a, uh, there is, I mean, Speaker of the Dead and, uh, and other ones that come out after our, our books that are almost just as powerful. 
other other scenes, other uh, we can maybe move into some acting performances or maybe other aspects that stuck out to you, and then we'll uh, head into some quotes here. But anything else that kind of sticks out to you in the movie before we move into some of that stuff? This was very a visually impressive movie. I mean, they obviously spent the money for it. Um, the scenes in space were fantastic. The, the battle scenes, whether it be the simulation or the, the final battle, it just just vi- visually, uh, lo- lots of good eye candy there. Oh yeah, definitely. Even the audio, I saw when I watched it the second time. I wore headphones, and like there was a. Uh, change in the voices when they were on the spaceships and stuff to make them sound more like their voices were reverberating in these tiny tin rooms that I just thought was really cool. Uh, Jim, any other, any other parts or moments for you? Um, I was impressed in the theater when I saw the ship, the shuttle for uh, battle school take off the first time, the way the whole place shook. And, when I saw it on television, of course, that didn't happen. But, uh, yeah, in, in our theater here, we've, we've got state-of-the-art sound, and it just really rumbled. Uh, I, I'll never forget hearing that. Plus that this movie should have been seen on a big screen. Oh, yeah, definitely. I would think, I would think on IMAX, I mean, especially those battle scenes, would have just looked it was awesome. epic. Yeah. 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 You know, and he's really standing there. I don't know, Jim, maybe, I don't know if you thought about this, but he's really kind of standing there at the end when he's conducting the battle, really like a conductor of a uh, orchestra or a band. Yeah. He's got that, that virtual uh, holographic um, display that he's moving things around on. But, yeah, there were definitely some, some overtones of that. Yeah, some definitely uh, cinematic... Uh, his opus, his uh, symphony that he's, play, he's definitely playing here. Mm-hmm. Well, how about the act? Let, let's talk real briefly about, uh, we're running a little bit short in time here, but let's talk real briefly about the acting performances. How did you feel about uh, Asa Butterfield as, is it Asa or Asa? I'm not even sure. Asa Butterfield as Ender Wigan. Is it Asa? Asa, Asa, Wigan, Asa as uh, Ender. I thought he did a pretty good job. Um I'm not familiar with with his work. I mean, he's a youngin. I mean, so, but uh, I, I thought I thought he did good. Yeah, I think his notables were like boys, boy in the striped pajamas, and Hugo were his big ones. Um, and, and, I thought he was fine. Yeah, he did he did, I thought he, you know, he embodied Endred for me. He handled the anger scenes really well, and I think that's something that's difficult for children to get. Yeah, he handled that well, and then he also handled the uh, the idea of. Uh, remorse. I thought he captured that fairly well. Uh, when I when I watched the uh, movie with the director's comments, he chose Asa Butterfield because he looked like a wimp, but he could he could absolutely not act like a wimp when he needed. What about uh, what about Petra? The uh, so it's Haley Steinfeld is her name, and she was in she was in True Grit. She was a girl in True Grit. Um. What uh? What do you think of her performance? Uh, kind of felt like it was throwaway, to be honest. Wait, yeah. Again, the movie doesn't give her much time to develop her character. Not like the book. Yeah, she came across a little yeah. bit like a Ender cheerleader. Yeah, uh, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, let's talk about Harrison Ford's uh, performance as General Gaff. What did you think? I loved I it. I, I didn't like him. I loved the performance, but I did like Graff. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think you're supposed to like Graff, but but I guess maybe that's one of the uh, signs of a good performance is when you uh, yeah. hate the uh, character. The worst that uh, um, Harrison Ford's uh, acting um is you know they'll only be good. So I mean, um, he yeah. I mean Harrison Ford. You you made you know you, uh, you sort of understood where he was coming from. He 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 was given this mission to um keep keep the earth safe and do whatever it took to do it. And you he felt totally justified in every every decision. For him, the ends did justify the means. Um, and there's you know he. The, the, when he the major he and the major are sort of arguing about you know he, he says something about I, I may, may not remember it correctly but about dealing with the moral implications of it later it was you know the mission the mission was the most important thing in the world and the mission was to save the world and uh, he he knew, and he, he talked about um, raising thoroughbreds and he says Ender is a thoroughbred I mean. Mm-hmm. He's messing the kids up, and then it's her job to put them back together again. <laughs> That's probably a good way, good way of saying that. And and then he says to her, he says, "Why is it? What difference does it make if there's nothing to put back together?" But you know something. While I think about it, Graf thought for sure that there was going to be an attack. But when they got to the planet, it sure didn't look like the Formics were preparing for an attack. So I'm wondering. I'm although I guess they, I guess I guess they argued the uh, that the planet they were they were building ships for something. But supposedly the ships were only 28 days away. Yeah, that's what I don't get. I they, they had that one scene where Graf is sitting in his office, and you see, and you see ships seemingly headed for Earth. Um. Yeah, did did Graf have all the information, or was he fed incorrect information? What was he manipulated? Maybe yes. as well. Yeah, was he a pawn? And that something I'm not sure we have. The other thing that I thought is was the footage we seeing of them being seemingly close to Earth um, was that archival footage? I mean, I don't know. See, I took it the other way around. I didn't take it as them being close to Earth. I took it as our forces. Being twenty-eight days away from the Formic planet. No, oh, okay. that's how that's how I read it, and that's why there was a time thing because it was like we have twenty-eight days to to get a leader ready for the attack. I don't know, but but Jim, I think uh, the, the position you present does provide an interesting postulate, and certainly uh, certainly uh, might give you just a little bit of empathy for Graft, is it if it is true, if it if he's being also played and manipulated um, in this game. Another character I liked was Sergeant Dapp, um, the uh, their drill sergeant. One, I, I I don't know for whatever reason, somebody of African ancestry has a British accent. It just sounds yes, but when somebody of African ancestry does it, it just it sounds even even better. But just just uh, seeing his interaction with uh, Ender and, and, and the kids, and the one scene where. No, I guess Ender just got on his nerves, and he, and he says, "Drop and give me 20. And uh, he says, uh, um, "You think you're the smartest kid here? No, sir. 
you will never salute. I will never salute you. Yes, you will, sir. <laughs> so it's like Ender gives him a little, you know, he capitulates a little bit, but not that much. Anazo Anozi, I believe is the guy's name. So, And I thought I recognized him, but he was a... He, he was in the Gray Atonement. Uh, what are the Game of Thrones season two? Oh, I recognize him from Game of Thrones, I and he was me. in uh, the new the, the the new the new Conan with uh, Jason Momoa. Oh yes, he was. Yeah, he was like a kind of a right hand man to that. Yeah, he he was yeah he was definitely uh, good in that in the, in that in that role. Mm-hmm. But there's some neat interactions with uh, with, uh, so, with, uh, with 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 Sergeant Dapp. I mean, Wigan would. You know, Ender would talk with uh, him, and sometimes um, they would have sort of this unspoken communication between the two. Any uh, any thoughts and quotes that kind of stuck out to you guys? Well, the the first one that we see it, it sort of opens the movie, it, and it's by Ender Wigan. In, in a moment when I truly understand my enemy, understand him well enough to defeat him, and then in that very moment, I also love him. That embodies the movie there at the end. Why are you kicking him? You had already won. Knock him down was the first fight. You mentioned that one, Jim. That's obviously a good quote. There are there are it wasn't it wasn't quote heavy, I guess. It is not a very quotable movie. There's some interesting lines. I mean, I like what Colonel Graff tell you know, after Wigan says, you know, you made them hate me, he says, Well, I told them you were the best. We needed Julius Caesar or Napoleon. So it's like, all right, we see, you know, maybe where Graf's head is a little bit. <laughs> Actually, there, there there is one quote with a conversation between Colonel Graf and Ender Wigan where he says, "Hey, Colonel Graf says we won. That's all that matters." And Ender Wigan's like, "No, the way we win matters." And I thought that that was a pretty uh, classic quote there. And the other one between him, him and Colonel Graf is Colonel Graf saying, "You have the habit of upsetting your commander." And Ender Wigan says, "I find it hard to respect someone just because they outrank me, sir." Uh, so I thought that that was also a good good quote. Uh, Just two other things to point out about the movie before we begin to to wrap this up. Uh, It was interesting. No opening credits for this movie. Yeah, it's true. And that's that's kind of uh, unusual when you have a movie. Typically, you roll credits and everyone's name gets touted and blown across, and you just don't have that. That's something that's that's getting taken away more and more, I think, uh, in film. I think they're they're going away from having the credit or credits at the beginning and putting them at the end. Well, that's our society. Instant gratification. Nobody wants to sit through it. Yeah. Oh, come on. I miss the days of sitting through five to seven minutes of credits at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> don't you guys? Come on. <laughs> I don't, because when you watch a movie with my with my mom, it's, what was that person in? What was that? And then there's like a two-hour conversation before you get through the beginning credits. <laughs> <laughs> Buy her an iPad. Yeah, there you go. If they could do it. <laughs> but it is, it was kind of interesting that they opted to go that route and that, and that's neat that, I think it's neat that people are moving to that. Although, I don't know, the title of the movie somehow does represent the movie. So, I don't know, maybe the title was pretty obvious here. And I, I thought at the very, they, they also said at the very end of the credits, if you sit through them, you hear some formic chirping at the end. And yeah, so if you sit through the credits, you'll hear it at the end. I guess they were hoping that maybe they would get that sequel. Yeah, I don't think so. But but you can always you can always hope that hope that. Well, I believe that's it. Any uh, let, so let's let's just go around and give uh, closing thoughts here on uh, how we ended up rating Ender Our Minds as far as a movie, as far as maybe its importance. And uh, I don't have a rating system here, so if you want to create one, we're going to start with you, Jim. Go ahead. 
Okay, I'm calling this movie, as far as my own entertainment is concerned, a five out of five. I think it's a very complicated movie, and you're going to discover new things as you watch it again and again. Uh, but visually, very stunning. Uh, just all around a great film. Awesome, awesome. My favorite comment was when we were gonna when we when we roped you into doing this. You said uh, that you uh, made mention, I guess, to your family that yeah, I'm gonna watch Ender's Game, and your daughter comes running out. Oh, we get to watch Ender again. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean the excitement's in that yeah it's a tough job but somebody's got to do it <laughs> yeah 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 you're raising your right jim you're raising your right uh, david how about you where do you uh, where do you stand in this movie well i'm gonna say this for for me personally it's gonna get a four out of five i really liked it i i, I was very surprised you know knowing that i had to sit down and watch it again i kept thinking man i don't I don't know if I want to sit sit down and watch this movie again. Like I don't. That's a lot of chunk of my time. <laughs> but within the first five minutes, I was like, "Oh wow, yeah, I remember this movie is really good." I don't know why I forgot and didn't want to watch the movie again. Like <laughs> I really enjoyed it. As far as what, it's a hard movie to share with other people, though. And I think mainly because of the experience I had, where a lot of the people I saw didn't like it. So I would say if I had to rate it to a scale with other people, I'd probably say a three out of five. But for me personally, four out of five. I would give it a four out of five. I think it's 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 very good science fiction. It tells a story and it gives you you know you the the viewer something to wrestle with. Um, it's not sometimes good science fiction presents you with uh, an issue or something to wrestle with and doesn't necessarily tell you which conclusion to to go with. There 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 is. Um, reasons to maybe go with Ender's conclusion or maybe reasons to go with Kraft's conclusion. Um, and, but it's, it's, it's done well. I mean, if, if you don't leave there thinking you, you weren't watch, you weren't paying close enough attention. Okay. For me, I think that I would rate it probably, I would probably give it a four, 4.5 out of five overall. And there's some different points. It depends how I evaluate the, 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 the film. Was I thoroughly engaged and entertained? Yeah, that's a five out of five in that area. Were there some parts I wish they would have pushed out and developed a little bit more? I, I wish, for example, that we would have had just a little bit more information about his parents because I felt like they're kind of skirted over. There's a little bit of background that we don't get, like like with Peter Wigan. It's just kind of... Um, we know he's supposed to be this ruthless man. We see one small scene with him in it, and that's basically it. We don't really get too much uh, with him. So I felt like there was a little bit of underdevelopment of some of those issues. And granted, it's not a short movie to begin with, but um, there was a little bit – I felt there was a little bit in the development area that I wish I would have seen. Um, but then the other way I also evaluate this movie, and I tell my students this all the time in creative writing, I said one of the signs of a good story or a good movie is when I walk away from it and I'm able to have conversations about what the what the message of the movie is or what it's saying and um, whether I agree or disagree with it. And I think this is one of those movies that does elicit that discussion. And maybe on that, on that, uh, from, from that table, I'm looking at and say, well, this is again, a five out of five for me. So it depends, I guess, how I'm looking at the movie, but overall, I'd probably give it about four, 4.5 out of five. That's kind of where I, um, where I take it. So, well, a, a, any final thoughts before we get out? Uh, should people see that, do people need to see this movie? 
Well, if you're a science fiction fan, which I, I assume if you're listening to this podcast you are, then I would say, yeah, get out there and, and rent the movie. I mean, Redbox is great. You can see a movie for like a dollar twenty-five. so why not? Jim, your thoughts? I, I completely agree with David there. Uh, I think sci-fi fans need to see this. And, and Miles? I agree with uh, our other co-hosts. Yeah. Yes. I think people need to see it, but I think even more than that, if you haven't read the book, Ender's Game when you talk about books that are must read for as far as a, um, a collection of science fiction, if you consider yourself someone that enjoys literary science fiction, Ender's Game as a book is one of those must reads. I think sometimes it gets shelved because it's kind of juvenile, but it, the story is far from juvenile, in my opinion. So those are uh, some of my thoughts. Well, well, guys, I really appreciate all of you coming in. Before we get out of here, we're going to give you a chance to uh, plug your respective shows. Jim, let's start with you. Tell us where people can find you, haunt you, harass you on the web. Well, you can find me on the Dune Saga podcast, uh, hopefully soon to be released, uh, Babylon Project podcast. I have a blog, jimsci-fi.blogspot.com, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook and all those neat places. So, Awesome. Awesome. Uh, David, how about you? Well, you can also find me on the Dude Saga podcast uh, at dudesagapodcast.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook as well. Uh, I'm kind of floating around. Not literally, mind you. He doesn't have any suspense or fields around him, but... <laughs> No, 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 <laughs> not definitely not, definitely not. <laughs> and uh, Miles, where can we find us? I guess we're on Twitter, and but be- best place is our, our, our Facebook page. Um, yeah, fan so page. Check us up there. I would encourage you, listeners, if you haven't joined our Facebook uh, page, please join there. We have we have some really good, interesting discussions going on, and what's going on in sci-fi right now. Uh, and we can find you on Twitter at Son of Wharf, right? Yeah, so Sona Wharf on Twitter if you want to haunt Miles. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well. I'm the uh, voice, I guess, behind the Sci-Fi Diner Twitter handle, but I'm also there as Herzog. And again, as as Miles said, you can find us at SciFiDinerPodcast.com. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. It was good, and uh, we're going to uh, get out of here. So, uh, Miles, why don't you take us out? All right, till next time, good night and good luck. We will see ya. Doing well. Top test scores in class, highest battle room ratings. But you have a habit of upsetting your commander. I find it hard to respect someone just because they outrank me, sir. Puts you in a difficult position, doesn't it? Yes, sir. You don't like taking orders from Bonzo? No, sir. Perhaps you'd prefer to give them yourself. Sir. Would you like to lead your own army? Dragon army? Sir, I've never heard of a dragon army. We discontinued the name four years ago. No dragon army ever won a battle. Why not a new name, sir? Because we already have the uniform.